0: Surprise, it's not our Adam and Eve ad. We want to tell you about our sexy little Patreon. There, you can find early episodes, bonus content like the hot goss on
1: my ex-boyfriends, exclusive polls, and much more. Go to patreon.com candygirlpodcast and choose to be a candy slut, a sweet simp, or our virtual sugar daddies.
0: We'll see you candy sluts and bubble butts over there.
1: Candy Girl Podcast. Fuck me, daddy. <laughs> hey, candy sluts and bubble buds. Welcome to another episode of Candy Girl Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Emily. And I'm Shelby. And today we are talking to Tiffany Duncan. So
0: excited to have you on the show, Tiffany. Um, her and I kind of got into this conversation because I had shared something about... Um, s- somebody had posted that porn was like the root of all evil and that if we stopped consuming porn society would be better and i shared it on candy girls instagram and i was like or you could just start like paying for porn from independent sex workers and then you wouldn't be seeing all this violence and like bad stuff on tube porn and tiffany replied and was like oh my god yeah i was raised in a cult and that was a big part of it was sexuality and porn were like the root of all evil and I was like, you have to be on the show. So we're excited <laughs> to have you. Um, kind of took your introduction away from you, but do you want to introduce yourself and then tell us how you got into sex
1: work?
2: Yeah, sure. So, Tiffany Duncan, uh, that's my name. I got into sex work in a really interesting kind of roundabout way. I was raised a pastor's daughter for many years and then. Went into uh, my dad not being a pastor, but being a layman in a church, and the church that we joined was a lot stricter than any of the churches that he ever pastored, and that was kind of the the beginning of the cult era of my life. Took a long time, but I eventually made my way out of that. Had a crazy few years. Obviously, when you get out of something that uh, religiously and spiritually suppressive, you kind of go wild for a bit. So I did that for a while. And then um, a job opportunity just opened up in Alaska of all places. And I went ahead and put in my application and got hired and went up there and the job was actually being a tour guide in what used to be a brothel 120 years ago. Um, So it was built as a bar and a brothel uh, back in 1897. And it started and opened for business in 1898 and was a full brothel, full service for two whole years during the height of the gold rush. And Skagway was where men and women alike would come through, pick up all of their wares, and then eventually make their way into the Yukon and try to find gold. So I ended up for two, three years giving tours on the women of that town and how strong they were talking about the um, just the struggles that they face daily, uh, whether that be sexually transmitted diseases, syphilis being one of the big ones, uh, whether that was the men that they came across and how they were treated, whether it was the fact that, you know, women were only making maybe $3 a day compared to the $6 a day that they needed in order to live. So it was pretty cool to, you know, learn all this stuff. And I became a little more interested and it just opened up my world a lot. And that year, being a tour guide as well, in that particular world, we also ended up, the ladies started a burlesque show and it was the first one that Skagway had ever seen. And so that was another way that I was able to kind of, you know, let a little bit of sexuality out and have some fun. And just last year, I asked my girlfriend, if she would think, you know, it was okay with her if I started an OnlyFans because I had kind of reached out in so many different ways. Now I'd done burlesque, I was giving tours in Denver and in Alaska on sex workers and so many little things, and I'd done tons of research. And you know, my girlfriend obviously was a hundred percent supportive. So I started an OnlyFans, and uh, honestly, it has it's opened up a ton of new worlds for me and a lot of acceptance. Um, I know you mentioned, you know, porn and sex being like the root of all evil, um, but I found it to be a completely different thing. I found it to be very freeing for me and it just very much allowed me to become the feminine and powerful woman that I am, and I thoroughly enjoy that.
1: But At some point, I'm going to need more details so, because I would love to like go. Are there are there old? So you can get a brothel tour in Denver. Uh, not quite a brothel tour. It's actually um,
2: advertised as a ghost tour because that's something else. They usually mix in women, ghost, CD history all together. Um, so the tours that I gave in Denver they're called ghost tours. And I definitely add in a lot of ghost stories, but because I am who I am, I focus a lot on the sex worker history. And so it just kind of depends on who you get as a tour guide, but there's so much sex worker history in Denver, Colorado. That's pretty crazy. And a lot of it is connected directly to the sex worker history in Skagway, Alaska, because a lot of the seedy con men and snake oil salesmen, actually went from Denver and made their way to Skagway in order to uh, be shifty with other people.
1: (laughs) Do you think it has to do, because you mentioned the gold rush, does it have to do with the fact that both of them were mining towns? Definitely.
2: Yeah, that's where, that's where the whole thing started and where it came from. Uh, You basically bring out a whole bunch of men in search for gold and the next thing that follows them is alcohol and the next thing that follows them is women. And it happens in the same exact order in every single town. So if you have heard of a town that had a gold rush, they also had brothels and a lot more than you think they had. Idaho had a gold rush. Yes. A lot of brothel history in Idaho.
1: My thought was like San Francisco. Man, there's more brothel history than we ever could have uh, imagined. Maybe she back to the motherland. (laughs) (laughs) So,
0: yeah, definitely want to talk a little bit about your upbringing and how that shaped your view of sex and how that might have evolved
1: since leaving the cult. Do you want to start with Oh, another thing that I would love to talk to you about if you're open to it is I'd love to kind of talk about being a I'm going to assume that based on the things that you told me is your partner a sex worker? No she's not. Okay so yeah, I I feel like we've been talking about, like, dating as a sex worker quite a bit. And we've even had a conversation with people like, oh, I would just be confused of how a sex worker could date a just because experiences are so different. Whereas I've heard it, like, flipped the other way, where it's like, I couldn't imagine it any other way. So I'd love to, like, talk about that with you if you're open. Some people we have on the show, they don't want to talk about their partners, and we totally respect that.
2: Totally. Yeah, I don't think she would mind if I talked a little bit about how much she helps me and like her role and all of it is so okay yeah she's shaking her head
1: yeah We're those good. are all those are all the like <laughs> conversation points that I would love to hit but I think it's easiest for you if we start with the question yeah okay so you sure. said
0: that you grew up in a very um conservative i guess religion and then it just got mm-hmm. more conservative you you switched churches those developmental years when you're first learning about sex was that like for you well
2: there wasn't any learning um there was no you know we weren't i was not allowed to attend sex ed classes i went to A lot of different schools growing up. I did homeschooling. I went to an Amish school. I went to Christian schools. I went to public schools. I went to private schools. I went, you name it, I went to something. Um, I think from kindergarten through senior year, I went to 15 different schools and was homeschooled six different times. So, um, you know, there was a lot of jumping around, but throughout all of that, if I went to a public school or there was a sex education class, My siblings and I, or anyone that attended our church, we were ripped out of it so fast, we didn't really have any time to think. So, I mean, my first time hearing what a BJ was, was when I was on the bus in ninth grade, and my sibling, who was 10 years younger than me, said something about a BJ. And I was like, I have no idea what that is. And at this point I was dating someone. So, I mean, I was not, well, not dating someone. I think I'd started like talking to some guy and I hadn't even held hands by this point, but I'm in ninth grade. So a BJ should be something I know. And I didn't. And my sibling who was like, mm, probably six, seven explained to me like, oh, it's a, it's a blowjob. It's when a girl puts their mouth on a boy's stick. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> no, 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 no. So I mean, my my sexual education literally didn't exist for a very long time. I definitely snuck a few books. Uh, my mom would check and see what books I checked out of the library. So I would go to the library and sit in the corner on one of those big puffy chairs and just grab like books that I wasn't supposed to read. And, you know, obviously a Britney Spears CD and pop that into my CD player And like play that and read a dirty book and then put everything away before I left, but never actually check anything out. So, I mean, I was definitely like, I knew, I knew that there were, you know, some, some puberty feelings going on and some hormones moving and I was attracted to men and I didn't quite know that I was attracted to women yet. It took me a really long time, but yeah, the sex education just did not, literally didn't exist.
0: (laughs) So I talk about this, I feel like a decent amount on the podcast, because I was raised Catholic and in a very conservative area, Emily and I both, and we got a little bit of sex education, we got like a puberty talk, but we never had like a sex education talk until Mm -hmm. I think you had the option in middle school to take it. And then in high school, you had to take like an abstinence based, like health class. But I really leaned in uh, for the first like 16 years of my life, We leaned into this like good little thing. And I didn't want to know anything about sex. And I liked being very sheltered. Um, Was that your experience? Or were you more like, no, I want to know more?
2: I, yeah, I think I've always had a bit of a sexual, like, bit to me, Uh, whether I understood it or not. um, I've had quite a few, I I don't know, it's, it's very strange. Uh, I had after I graduated high school, one of my teachers apparently had come to my mom and told her while I was in high school that I was one of the most seductive human beings they had ever been around in their life, which was very strange for me to hear later because I was in jean skirts to my ankles and, you know, men's like t-shirts. There wasn't allowed to be any pull. Nothing was like two fingers below where my you know, my throat is. <laughs> I was like, there's nothing about me that's seductive. I've never even held a man's hand. I've never kissed anyone. And, you know, that was by my junior year. And so there was never, I don't know what it is about me specifically, but my entire life I've been told that I'm a very seductive human being. And I do lean into that now, that's for sure. But yeah, I think I always did. I definitely think that there was a bit of me that wanted, wanted a little more. I was... I've always been good at flirting. I am, I'm witty and fast and that's fun for me. So I think witty quick banter has been considered, you know, my, my super flirty (laughs) thing for a long time. Um, So yeah, I think I definitely wanted to know more. I I wanted to growing up, I just wanted to know more about everything. Um, I think for me, the part of religion that was really upsetting wasn't the sex part until I was much older. Um, For me, it was... you know, if if God is love and if He's supposed to love everyone, why don't we love homosexuals? It's like I don't I don't understand that. Like if we're supposed to be spreading, you know, this big thing of love and helping, like why don't we help homeless people? Why, you know, I was I was always just very confused about so many things about what religion's supposed to be and what we were actually practicing. So sex was kind of the last thing on my mind. So I don't think that that came till much
0: later but that's interesting so okay so I'm trying to think of how to word this um so I had a very finally started being sexual um accepting I mean this I I started being sexual with my partners like at age like 14 because they wanted it and I didn't know how to establish boundaries so I was like okay and there was a lot of like, oh, God hates me now. And, you know, I'm going to go to hell because I let this boy touch me. However, you know, um, and like now I'm an atheist, so I don't really care. But at the time, it was it was <laughs> really hard for me. Is that something that you ever had to experience? Yeah,
2: for sure. Yeah, it's very traumatizing. Um, yeah. I mean, you're you're raised your entire life being told that sex is bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad unless it's with your husband. And so you're like, okay, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for my husband, but you don't know who your husband is. And, you know, you're, you're going through life, having crushes on people and you're raging with hormones. And, you know, I, I did, I eventually did get a boyfriend and I was, I think I was 18 when we had sex. I was still in high school, um, but I was 18 and I had a, a few guilty feelings, but we had, we, When we first started dating, I think that we had a lot of good communication, Uh, and so we talked about it, and he was also a Christian, and we discussed the fact that he and I planned on getting married, so to us, it wasn't a big deal. Now, I ended up dating him for almost four years, and he ended up being extremely abusive. We ended up being engaged. I broke up with him. And when I broke up with him is when I experienced all of that terrible guilt because I was no longer marrying him. And not only was it hard for me to kind of accept, but my mother, my mom, my mom has been a very abusive human being throughout my life. But one of the, you know, I, so I spent a lot of time uh, looking for her, just for her to want to love me and to be there and, you know, her support. And so at a time where I thought, you know, I'm going to go to my mom and tell her that I'm breaking up with this man who's been abusive. She's going to be there for me because she's my mom. Instead, she said, "Well, you've now ruined yourself for every other relationship you could possibly be in because you had sex with this man. So if you go somewhere else, you're no longer you're no longer fit to be someone else's wife." And so that's when that's when I was ruined when I was like 21 years old. I was Oh, my heart was absolutely broken. I had no idea what to do. Um, I definitely just kind of like threw all caution to to the wind and was like, well, I'm just going to fuck everything that moves. And that's, (laughs) I figured if I was just done, you know, whatever. But that's when I feel like that's when a lot of my my problems came uh, to light. Because after I broke up with my ex, for two solid years, every time that I had sex, I blacked out. It didn't matter if I was sober. It didn't matter if I was high, if I was drinking. I would remember all of the making out. I would remember the dancing. I would remember all of the little things until it came right up to the moment. And then I would, it didn't matter if it was a boyfriend, somebody I'd been with for three, four months, but for two solid years, I could not remember anything about my sexual experiences. And I know it was just solid guilt, blacking out everything. So I do know that feeling. It just kind of depends for all of us as to when we get it, I guess, or what point in our life we end up experiencing it. But mine was in
0: college, so a little later. So you've then done almost an entire 180 from not even being able to remember sex to being a sex worker. So how evolution come about? It's taken
2: a long time. Uh, It's taken many, many years. I guess I've just always, once I decided that I enjoyed sex, I also decided that I enjoyed pleasing people. That was something that I learned. So if I please people, I get something out of it too. So sending nudes to people was very exciting for me. I was like, oh, I send you a nude. You tell me I'm pretty. I like that. (laughs) this exchange is good for me because it feeds my vanity and it helps me feel better about myself. So good, good, good. Nudes are good. (laughs) And I mean, I started that, you know, in, in college and I think it just kind of, it built up a little bit from there. And at one point I had a Tumblr and I just posted some dirty pictures here and there on Tumblr and people seemed to enjoy that. And yeah, it just kind of, it's it's gotten more and more um exciting as time goes by. I found that burlesque is one of my favorite ways to do any kind of, you know, stripping because the response that you get from the audience is unlike anything else in the world. Um OnlyFans is fun because I get to, you know, make videos and take pictures and post them, but that, you know, that live bit still isn't there. But it's the reaction. Um I think that the evolution came about slowly and surely over the years, solely because i enjoy I enjoy the feedback, I enjoy the reactions that I get. Um, I also just love being naked. I've learned that being naked is my favorite way to be. Um, <laughs> I've gained weight over the years and lost a little weight and gained a little weight and lost a little. And I found that every time it happens, I, I grow to where I hate clothes at some point in time, but I always like myself completely naked. So I've, you know, I don't think I hate my body. I hate my body in clothes. Um, <laughs> so finding that I thoroughly enjoy being naked and also love positive responses coming from people who enjoy my naked body I think those two just go so hand in hand it's pretty easy to eventually move yourself into sex work.
1: Right and if you don't mind I'd love to kind of establish a timeline so there's a time where sex was I guess a rather not traumatizing experience but clearly something was going on if you weren't able to remember it so when was the time that you decided to move to Alaska did learning about the history of sex work kind of help you process that or did you feel that you needed to process it before you got Ooh. yeah before you started like learning all these that's too personal no, you definitely do not have it's to not too
2: personal I just think there's uh, there's just a there's a loaded bit there um
1: I guess first I know kind of where this falls on the timeline between when you moved to Alaska Okay. Um so
2: you have college. Uh sorry, my life has been a really big whirlwind for a long time. Um college to 2011, 2012, then I moved to Texas for a year, moved back from Texas to Indiana. Uh so that would be oof, 2015, I think is when I moved from Indiana to Denver. I was in Denver for 2-3 years um that's a whole nother segment of my crazy life and then from Denver to Alaska so I think it was a good like five six seven years from Indiana and breaking up with the ex to going to Alaska and then I think
0: she also wanted to know did learning about these sex workers and their stories influence your decision to become a sex worker
2: Definitely. I think so. Um, I mean, I think the more you learn about it and the more you're around people who are loving and supportive and, you know, love you for no matter what you do, I think it becomes easier to be who you are. And throughout my life, thank Goodness, I have managed to come across so many incredible human beings, especially women. When I was young, all I had was guys. I fit in with the boys. I was a tomboy. And now that I have gotten older, I have come across so many incredible, uplifting women. And they really push me to do whatever makes me happy. And it doesn't matter what, what it is. Uh, I have quite a few girls that we send nudes back and forth just to build each other up. Like, and they're not even sex workers. This is stuff that I've done for years and years and years. We'll send each other super hot Snapchats. And we're like, oh my God, you look so hot. <laughs> um so I mean I think it's a huge I definitely think that learning more about the sex workers and our history and what badass women they were had a huge impact on me wanting to become one of them. Um And then also being surrounded by so many incredible women who love me for exactly who I am and have no judgment whatsoever definitely helps as well. And then I think the other thing you were asking is, like, was there, I guess, was there any jealousy or, you know, upset feelings when I was going through um, the part of my life where I was experiencing the blackout and everyone else was out having a good time. Um, That is, I think I was drunk for so much of that time that I really don't know what was happening. Um, There's so much of it that I, you know, I don't, I think I blocked out a lot of what was happening then, to be honest with you. Um, And I've never been somebody who's been super, like, Jealous of what other people have going on. I have so much craziness happening in my own head that I don't think I can really like (laughs) pay attention too much to other people's like excited things. I'm like, oh, you're excited. I'm excited for you. Like, yes, that's awesome. (laughs) And you know, sometimes I had I had some of my own stories and fun things and wild things that I was getting into, so I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything. Um, But yeah, I. I don't know if I just – I think that we all go through so so different of an experience when we are traumatized um, that it's it's kind of impossible to compare it to anybody else's experience and what they may have – I don't know, I guess what they may have felt at that point just because we're all – we all come from so many different backgrounds and
1: yeah. And I I realized it after I asked it, I was like, taught ourselves as we were growing up. The best way to frame it. I I think (laughs) there's like, it's just a way that trauma affects the brain brain is so interesting to me. I know on the show, we've talked to other guests and about how (laughs) sex work can. We've talked to other guests about how sex work can be a very healing experience, but it tends to more be in the context of client side but we've never really gotten most sex work can be very healing for the sex worker oh for sure
2: i may i
1: enlighten on that just a little bit because i have please. a lot yeah please do <laughs> um, yeah please do i think i think that's the derive my question to go <laughs> <okay>. and i <laughs> so yeah definitely um i
2: personally have found that i have been helped a lot but I think the, the most interesting one and like the strangest little bit is I have always had a really tiny bladder. And so I find myself peeing all the time. And I told you guys, I'm a pretty anxious little ball of a mess, always worried about putting other people out. So when I'm on a road trip, I'm the one who's constantly having to stop the road trip because I have to pee all the time. Um, when I started sex work, there was one particular gentleman who approached me and asked me if I would pee on camera. And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I have have never, I have never considered that before. And then he started, you know, he was like, well, you know, I'll pay you. And he did. He paid me a pretty good sum just to pee on camera outside, like nothing weird. And I was like, okay. And then he did it again and again and again. And for me it became like a very healing thing. It's like, Oh, I'm not causing anybody any problems. I'm making money off of this thing that used to make me feel so freaking self-conscious. like Now I'm like, yeah, I got to (laughs) pee. I was so excited about this very tiny thing that it always made me feel so weird. And I mean, that's just one example. I have felt for so many years, obviously, I'm guessing all women are the same and that we have problems with our bodies. I love my body. I think it's strong. It can do so many cool bendy things. But at the same time, I have little lumps and rolls and things that I don't like and that I judge myself for. And when I send these photos to my fans on OnlyFans, or they pay for things, or they, you know, get a custom video, they want unedited stuff. They want me at my absolute realest. They want to see all the jiggles and the shakes. They don't want anything cut out. They want to see my belly rolls and my back rolls and the little you know, uh, weird ingrown hairs that I get around my vagina, like that just, to me, that makes me love myself so much more, because I see that I don't have to be perfect for their little minds to be completely blown away. Like that means, (laughs) that means the world to me. So yeah, I feel like my confidence has absolutely gone through the roof. I've had some dresses that I've owned for three or four years, but I haven't worn them in the last year because I gained a bunch of weight. And recently, I've been wearing them to shoot things on OnlyFans because I feel like I look pretty good in them, even though I weigh more now than I did two, three months ago when I tried them on and was like, I'll never wear this again. They Now that I have these things on and I know that these men love me no matter what, it definitely, it, it's healing for me, for sure. It makes me feel so much better about myself.
0: It kind of sounds like it's a bunch of, little things about sex work that accumulate into this empowering feeling that you get from it?
2: Oh, for sure. Uh, I think I also find that for OnlyFans specifically, because OnlyFans is the only site that I am using. I don't have any other ones at the moment. I know a lot of people kind of split it up and do a bunch of different stuff. I'm in charge. I get to be completely in charge of my OnlyFans. So I get guys that come on and, you know, they pay their, it's $10 a month for my OnlyFans. So they pay their $10. And if they come on and they say something kind of shitty, I get to say no. And they don't, I have had very few men over the last year respond in a negative way. Most of them have said, I'm so sorry. I did not realize that you didn't want to be talked to in that way. And I say, I really prefer to be treated basically like a queen like, I, I, I am very nice to you. I love my subscribers. I treat them very well. And I cannot, they, I appreciate them so much. They literally have kept me from being houseless throughout the entire pandemic. So I can't thank them enough. But I also expect to be treated very nice. And I feel like when, when these men are paying to be there. And when they want to be in your space, and they want to be a part of your world, they tend to treat you better because of that. It's not just some random guy on Instagram looking at your photos. It's a guy that paid to be around you for a full month. And that means that means a lot to me, which also means that they're there to know what turns me on and what makes me tick. So I have to tell them that. And so it's fun to be able to tell people like, this is the line that you can't cross. And it's probably not a good line to cross with any women. And most of the time they say, Oh, okay, yes, ma'am. Like, that's that sounds good. I won't talk like that anymore. And (laughs) that's very
0: powerful for me. So let's kind of move into the relationship conversation we brought up earlier about dating a non sex worker and how that dynamic works. Because as Emily had mentioned, We've heard some people be like, I don't know how a sex worker could date a non-sex worker. I feel like you would live in two different worlds. And then we've heard other people say, no, they're like the most helpful part of my career. So what's your experience with your girlfriend? Uh,
2: Most helpful part of my career. Um, (laughs) So a year ago, when I told her that this is something I'd be interested in doing, her first reaction was, yeah, you'd be great at it. I think you'd make a lot of money and I think it'd be awesome. And she instantly, I mean, even before then she was taking photos for me because I like to be naked outside and I like to take photos of it. So she's been taking little shots of me here and there for a couple of years. Um, But when I mentioned it a year ago, not only was she completely on board, but she started like, looking on YouTube and figuring out new ways to use her camera that she'd never done before. She bought editing programs to help edit my photos. She's learned more about video editing to help edit videos and to help me like expand my reach and do some new things that I've started doing. I'm working on a cooking show. You know, she's, just everything that you can imagine, she has put some effort into it and she's there with me. She helps film my videos. She helps take all of my photos. If you have seen a picture of my tits in the last year, um, eight out of 10 times Brittany took them. <laughs> um, so it's just kind of like, yeah, she's been a huge help to everything that I do. When I don't feel you know, motivated or excited to do something, Brittany's always next to me telling me yeah okay you can you can do this like this it's gonna be okay you know I've oh you had this idea what if you what if you did it this way what if you expanded on it that way oh that's fun so she's always helping build me up helping me come up with ideas um I yeah I honestly don't know how I would do this without her
1: so how has your relationship changed before you got into sex work versus now that you are in sex work I don't
2: know I don't know. I don't know if it has changed too much. I do think like sometimes it's fun because we'll try something new just sexually because we're thinking, Oh, like what else could we film? What if we did, what if we did this? And so I think it has like opened a few doors for us, like, you know, in the bedroom. It's also, I think it's just allowed us to just be more open and communicative Period, because I have to be on my phone now all the time. Um, You know, my phone is my lifeline to my money. So, marketing, uh, putting my name out there on Instagram, putting my name or my face or my butt on so many different things on Reddit and (laughs) different places. Um, So, I'm constantly on my phone. So, it's been, I think it's helped us communicate when we need attention. Um, Because Brittany will look at me and she'll say, I need attention now. And I know then, like, I need to put down my phone and pay attention to my girlfriend for a while. Um, I do the same thing. You know, if there's been a time where I've been on my phone for a while, or she's been doing something with some of the, you know, video editing or whatever she does, I might be like, hey, hey, I want to smoke a joint. I need attention. Like, <laughs> you know? so I think it's helped us just talk to each other a little bit more and tell each other what we need. But I think it's, I think it's helped definitely more than it's hurt us. I don't think that there's any way that OnlyFans has hurt either one of us or our relationship. She may have something different to say, but since we talk constantly, I don't think that's the the case. <laughs> I will say it's changed it's changed our hikes and our explorations quite a bit because we've always gone and explored things and had fun. But now since I wanna be taking photos or like making every trip. A photo opportunity it's been even more fun to kind of try and find secluded spots that we can go and shoot naked photos at and it's it's fun to like peek and make sure nobody's watching and then you know okay then we'll take a few pictures then we're gonna go and look for over here and do it. so I think it's just made it's made our excursions a little more fun
1: spice yeah. things up I see <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs>
0: That's interesting. So some people would be like, "Oh, if you're dating a sex worker, the sex worker is cheating. Like, there's no way that you can be faithful and selling nudes." Like, what would you have to say to somebody who would who'd claim that? I would
2: say, well, I think it's I think it's wrong. First of all, um, I don't I don't think it's cheating. I would just say to be completely upfront and honest with your partner about it. Uh, when I started my OnlyFans, I immediately told my girlfriend that. I didn't feel comfortable doing it if she didn't have full access to what I was doing. So when I made my account, she knew all of the information. She has it on her phone. Sometimes she sees things before I do because she'll kind of go in and she'll look up stuff and she'll be like, oh my God, did you see somebody subscribed to your OnlyFans? like, oh, that's awesome. Or she'll say, hey, so-and-so messaged you. Did you see that message? They tipped you. And so, you know, I have like, she's right there side by side with me looking at everything that I'm doing. So I definitely don't feel like it's cheating. Even if you didn't do that, I still don't think it's cheating. I would say if if there came a point in time where I was putting all of my effort, all of my energy, all of my you know, my waking hours into OnlyFans and sex work and not working on my relationship. I think at that point in time, I'm, I would be cheating, not with another person necessarily, but I'm now not giving, you know, my other half what they need in the relationship. But yeah, it's, I think cheating is different for everybody. It totally depends on what relationship you're in and you need to have a serious discussion with your partner if you decide to start an OnlyFans, because it's a whole lot harder than you think it is. <laughs> it's... It's definitely been a whole lot of work. But yeah, I think if you're completely upfront and honest with your partner about everything that you're doing, there should never be a point in time where
0: it's considered cheating. One thing we've learned from this podcast is it's that OnlyFans
1: is a lot harder than you think it is. Oh my god, I
0: know. (laughs) Online sex work is a lot harder than you think it
1: is. (laughs) Anything where you have to really go out there and like really promote yourself, all the engagement, all the marketing... All the promotional images. Shelby, Shelby and I have said, like, <laughs> Shelby, even as we were on our way over to the interview, like, yeah, maybe it's time for me to, we have this ongoing bit where Shelby's going to start an OnlyFans, and it's like, Shelby, you do not have, have time. <laughs> you <do> <laughs> straight up do not have time. That is, ne- it's definitely not something super easy on the so effort. That is.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: It's, Yeah, I mean, I've seen people who do it as an on the side effort. And that's great. And it's they do a good job. And I'm impressed. But I feel like I have, this almost has to be a completely full time thing for me because I feel like my depression just doesn't let me do a whole lot more than one or two things at a time. And OnlyFans is a lot of energy. And I don't think it's the OnlyFans part of it that's a lot of energy. I love doing what I do on there. I find that the biggest part of the energy is the promotion. It's the constant telling people like, come look at me, look at me, look at me. Like, that's not something that I enjoy doing. I just like putting things out there. And if you look at me, that's great. Like, <laughs> cool. I'm posting it because I think I look really hot in this
0: photo. Like, But <laughs> I I would agree um, with you You guys. mentioned that you struggle with anxiety. And I kind of want to know how you manage that in a job where... Income is kind of based on how many people are subscribing to your OnlyFans and you get a payout, you know, once a month, twice a month, you know, um, because I feel like that would make me super anxious to not know when I'm going to get paid and what the salary is going to be.
2: For sure. I got really lucky during the pandemic because I had somebody who my girlfriend's family let me stay with them. So I had a home. I've been transient for a really long time and I keep my bills super low. I don't subscribe to things. Um, The amount of money that I have to pay out every month is stupid low compared to what a lot of people's is. I don't have children. I don't have dogs. I don't have cats. You know, so I I keep that amount really low. I've been a server my entire life, so my whole life has been based on, you know, God only knows what you're going to make tomorrow night. You know, you make $3 and 25 cents an hour in Indiana. And if you make more than that, cool, good for you. But yeah, I've, I've, my entire life has been based on almost 16 years of serving has been, you go to work, you bust your ass, you make whatever you can and you come home, but you're never guaranteed that you're going to be able to make what you need to make rent and what you need to get food. And, you know, so it's like, uh, eh. So as far as that, like, yes, I do deal with a lot of anxiety as far as that's concerned. Um, But I've also spent my entire life kind of just hustling for everything. I grew up the oldest of five kids and I've had a paper route since I was eight years old. So, I mean, I have spent through college. I went to college while I stayed in college until I dropped out. I maintained a 3.7 and worked three jobs. Even while I'm doing OnlyFans, I'm picking up little bits and pieces of things for people. Um, I may go clean somebody's house. I've done high-end cleaning in homes for many years. So I may, you know, go and clean somebody's house or do a couple of other things. So I never actually have only one source of income because I think that would make my anxiety absolutely explode. So yeah, I have, you know, maybe a burlesque show on the side, maybe something else. I'm getting ready to start um, a Patreon for a cooking show that I'm trying to do. So, you know putting some more eggs in more baskets.
1: (laughs) So do you have any fun ideas for your cooking show?
2: Um, yes, I am attempting to make it a little more PG. So I because I have a lot of friends that I think would get in on it if it wasn't, you know, as scandalous as my OnlyFans was. It's basically going to be, it's called, what's it called? Baked baked at Tiffany's. So it'll be like, from from a poor person's perspective of how to cook, um, I'm not going to be going in. I'm not a trained chef. I've just been cooking since I was very young. And so I'm going to kind of go into things and show people like, this is what was in my cabinets. These are the things that are going bad. This is, you know, some of the stuff that I have in my fridge. And I'm just going to kind of put all this together and make something. Cause I never, I never follow recipes. I don't set timers for things. I have no idea how hot the oven is. <laughs> it's, it's, which you would think with my anxiety would cause me even more anxiety, but for some reason in the kitchen, it's all about smells and what things feel like. And I, I'm not quite sure. So I think it's going to be more of like a, this is what we have available and this is what we can make out of it. And if you don't have these things, these are other fun things that you can substitute just something basic and fun. And then I'm going to be smoking in the process.
1: But I mean, I'm on board. I'm excited. About... Oh
0: yeah. I, I cook the exact same way. <laughs> like I know I should follow the recipe, but I don't, I think it's when you grow up in a chaotic household, you kind of like chaos and so you, you find ways to cause it yes. for yourself.
2: You do. You also just find ways to cook things that you never thought that you were going to be able to cook because you only have five items and you had those same five items for a week. And you need to make a lot of different meals with those five items because you get bored. So you learn really fast how to mix things up and add different spices and make things fun.
0: I want, when you come up with this cooking show, I want to link to your Patreon because I need it.
1: Totally. (laughs) Totally. I'm down. Emily, do you have any lingering questions? Yeah, actually. So, one big... I feel like we've totally glazed over burlesque. Uh, And I feel like you have such this rich, like, knowledge of the history of sex work that it would be a shame to not talk about burlesque, because from what I've heard is one other burlesque dancer. Shout out, (laughs) Nyla. nihilistic yeah. but yeah she had she had such an in-depth understanding of the history that went into that and she just loved mm-hmm. talking about it so I actually listened to that episode and I loved it oh when people listen to our show that's so nice <laughs> I mean, like oh you shouldn't have but thank you oh. <laughs> Oh, yeah.
0: I did. Yeah. Um, And we talked to the oldest profession podcast this morning. And so I would love to talk a little bit more about the oldest profession. You know, if there's any like fun facts that you have memorized or like specific stories, Uh we would love to hear those.
2: I have so many. (laughs) Uh, As far as like specific stories and facts, they definitely differ from city to city. Like we mentioned, there ah uh, there's a very rich history in San Francisco, in Seattle, in Portland, in Denver, in you know all over Alaska. So, I guess one of the one of the big ones that sticks out to me is something that it's it's a little rough to hear, but I think it's something that everybody should hear at least once in their lives. Um, when back in 1897, when the women were you know, sex workers up in Skagway, there were very few forms of contraceptives. There were a couple of things that they could use: two different kinds of condoms. One was lambskin, which is very effective but extremely expensive and hard to get a hold of. If the girls had have gotten a hold of one lambskin condom, they would have washed it out and used it over and over and over again until it fell apart. The other kind of condom that they could have gotten a hold of, and they were advertised as perfectly safe and being shipped by the boxfuls from France, were silk condoms. So they do absolutely nothing, totally porous, and they do not protect you against anything whatsoever, yet they were being used constantly and told that they were safe. The girls were also told that in order to protect them from diseases and protect them from getting pregnant, they could use laudanum. Laudanum is opiates mixed with red wine. Um, it does not protect you from STDs. It will turn you sterile and it will turn you into a drug addict. So uh, the last thing that they used for contraceptives, there was a antibacterial that was created by a German doctor and it was sold to the Americas as a, yeah, it was it was a contraceptive, perfectly perfectly safe for women to use. It was Lysol. So at that point in time, it was still 99.9% disinfectant. The girls were supposed to douche with it. It would burn their insides to charcoal and turn them sterile instantly. So just knowing some of the things that these women had to go through, and they were going to try all of it. They tried absolutely everything because if they got syphilis, there was no cure. There was nobody to help them. There were no doctors. The girls were either killed instantly or they were given a mark across their cheek. That was a letter S and it was burned into their cheek. This was a way for everyone to know what dirty thing they had done. And they were now no longer allowed to work anywhere, eat with other people, have jobs. So, I mean, it was a death sentence and it's, you know, it's, a very difficult thing to hear, but I think it's important for us to know what these women were going through at that point in time and just how strong they were. Some of the a little something to lighten it up. One of my favorite stories about the women of this time period was just how smart they all were. You have the stories of the men who are going for the gold up in the Yukon and they spend years getting to this gold and they have hundreds of thousands of dollars. This is right after the depression. Everyone is struggling, but you've got a few men up there who have found so much gold that they never they're never going to have any idea what to do with it. But the first place that they end up heading is a brothel or a dance hall. Now you had you had the girls that worked upstairs and those were, you know, those were your sex workers and then you had the madam and she's the woman in charge and she takes a much bigger cut. Honestly, that's probably where I would have been. And if I wasn't a madam, I would have been one of the performers. The performers were paid $150 a week, which was a huge amount of money at that point in time. Cost of living was $6 a day. So $150 a week was massive. Now, on top of that, they're also making a 25% commission on every drink that's sold in their presence. And a pint of champagne was $20. So that's a 5% commission. So my favorite performer, her name was Cad Wilson. Cad was super intelligent. She wasn't very pretty. She couldn't sing. She couldn't dance, but she was a performer. And so Cad would actually get up onto stage in front of a huge group of men and the music would start to play and Cad would reach down and she'd grab her skirts and show off her very voluptuous ankles and as she would show off her ankles, exactly, same, those men would lose it. Oh, my God, ankles. And so they would start reaching deep into their pockets and fondling their nuggets, the gold ones. And then they would grab these gold nuggets and toss them in her direction, and she would take her skirt and catch all these gold nuggets, kind of like a bowl. And as she would catch and catch, her skirt would get fuller, and she doesn't want to lose any gold. So what'd she do? She lifts the skirt up a little further, and then they can see her knees. <gasps> So the whole idea here is that as she lifts higher, the men can see more. So they continue to throw more gold and they fill up her skirts. So there were actually accounts of Cad Wilson doing this one act over 15 times in one night. Now, as the miners were mining for gold, the women were mining the miners. So... They didn't have to go and do all this work like the men did. If they were smart about it, many of these women could just pick all these men clean and leave and nobody would ever, nobody would have any idea what they did during the gold rush because a lot of them didn't even use their real names. So they were using fake names. They'd come up, do whatever dirty work they had to do and take off. So, I mean, the stories are, there's a lot of them. Um, and I have a lot of respect for the women from that time period because they were absolute hustlers.
0: You can really tell that you've told that story. Like you've been rehearsed almost. You told it very well.
1: (laughs) I was was saying, you've said that on your ghost store before, haven't you? Definitely, definitely. There's, yeah, there's a lot of
2: stories I could probably go through.
0: I love that. Well, yeah, we're running out of time, but you should, we should totally do like a Patreon episode and you could just tell whatever stories you wanted to. We'll do like 30 minutes and... Sure. It would be That would be so much fun, I think, if, if you're down, Emily.
1: I, obviously, I'm down. Only if you're down, Tiffany.
0: <laughs> I would be
1: super down. <laughs>
0: awesome. Cool. Well, yeah, we'll set that up. But for now, so Tiffany, if anybody who's listening wants to find you, where would they look?
2: If you are looking on Instagram, my name encompasses my, um, my burlesque presence. Uh, but it is Madame Risqué Biscuit. So I'm, I like to eat a lot and I'm pretty risque. Um, But yeah, Madam Risqué Biscuit. And then if you were looking on OnlyFans or anywhere else, uh, it's probably Breakfast at Tiffany's. Keep it pretty easy.
0: Very cute. I love it. Thanks. Cool. Well, please check out Tiffany, find, or subscribe to her OnlyFans, find her on Instagram. And you can find her episode on our website, candygirlpodcast.com, along with all of our social media and any extra information you might want to find. So thanks for listening. We will hear from you next Friday.
1: Candy Girl Podcast. Hug me, Daddy. <laughs>